Good morning. Good morning. We'd like to welcome you all here on this beautiful Sunday morning to the house of the Lord as we seek to worship him and to fellowship with him and with one another. Please stand and join us as we sing our praises to God.
Father, we are struck with awe and wonder at your greatness and at your desire to know us and to be in relationship with us and to call us to yourself. We ask that this hour of worship will bring honor and glory to you and will lead us closer to you as we open ourselves to your spirit, and we pray this through Christ. Amen. We welcome all of you who are here today. Before you're seated, we invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship. Obviously, um, food is important to us. Uh, we, it's pretty hard to live without it. And, uh, and yet there are folks in our surrounding areas who struggle to uh, have enough food to feed their families. And uh, God has given us the privilege of having a food pantry out of which we can help families who are in crisis. And we, we do that regularly. And you see the insert in your bulletin that uh, just this month, we have helped 67 people in just one month. And uh, we have uh, limitations of how often people can come, and yet this is not an abnormal month. It's actually quite normal in terms of the, the people that we help. And so, as you might imagine, the uh, supply is down. That's, you can see the shelves are, are getting pretty bare in our food pantry. So if you could help out, that would be greatly appreciated. You know, every November we have a big food drive, and that's awesome, and, and we use that. But that's been seven months ago, and so uh, 
we, we need more. So if you can, if you are able to, to donate any food, uh, if you'd like to donate money to help us buy food, that would be great as well. And you can drop any food by the church office and uh, we'll get it stocked. And you can see in the bulletin the, the items that are most important to have and help the most. And let me just encourage you to participate in this way of helping those who are in need. Uh, you'll notice uh, that next Sunday we begin summer Sabbath. And uh, so we have one worship service at 10 o'clock, and that will continue through the first Sunday of uh, August. And Pastor Cindy will be preaching next week from 1 Kings 19. This Wednesday, uh, Pastor Mike is having a uh, meeting of people who have been small group leaders and hosts, and also for those who may be interested in leading or hosting a small group. And you see information in the bulletin about that. There are always prayer concerns that are on our minds and hearts about things related to us right here as well as things around the world. And we continue to remember those needs. I do want to mention that we got word this morning that Randy Ellis's father died yesterday. And after a lengthy illness, uh, the arrangements are pending for him. But I know that the Ellis family would appreciate our prayers. Harold Blue is going to come and make a presentation about the sixth grade catechism class. Along with Dr. and Mrs. Shearer, uh, we've been privileged to teach the sixth grade catechism class again this year. And uh, I was thinking this morning about a verse from Isaiah chapter 28. And it must be something important because within just a few verses, God repeats the same thing to us twice. He says, precept upon precept, line upon line. Here a little, there a little. And that's kind of the way our Sunday school or catechism class is. We just try to build on things that the young people have been learning before. First of all, I want to say a word of thanks to Dr. and Mrs. Shearer, who have been my helpers for the past number of years. Uh, you know, when you get old, it Things all kind of run together. Time all kind of runs together. A lot of you wouldn't understand that yet, but you will. So I, I do. I appreciate their faithfulness and their help with the class. Uh, Pastor Wes, Pastor Cindy uh, come usually during the month of May and share one class period with us. And I always look forward to that. Uh, it, it's just a good time for them to hear from somebody else some of the things that we've been talking about. I appreciate Robin Pauling, our Sunday School Superintendent, for her support and help. And then for all of you as a church body, for, as the Apostle Paul said, 
counting us faithful, putting us into this ministry. And then for you as parents who have helped your students uh, work on their questions, uh, I, I do appreciate your help. Catechism has been used in the church almost from apostolic times to help new Christians get a grasp of the teachings of Christianity. I find, as I've been teaching the class, that it's a good way to organize and review many of the things that these young people have been learning in Sunday school and at home uh, for all of their lives, most of them. Some of the things that we talk about are new, like some of the big words that we learn, like omniscience, omnipresence, plenary inspiration. Okay, some of you guys that have been in class, you ought to remember those. There are 127 questions that these young people have worked on from 12 different areas, and uh, they've done very well. All four, now I know you only see three, we've, we're, we're only at 75% today, okay? Uh, all of them have completed that. Now, I've had other years, I've had people say to me, now, who was that? So I'm going to introduce the young people to you and identify their parents to help you kind of put them together here. Okay, our only girl in our class is Sophia Gildemeister, the daughter of Carlos and TJ Gildemeister. And then Liam McNeil, okay, son of Dr. Rob and Mrs. Ann McNeil. And then Quinn Maston son of Brian and Becky Maston, and then the person who's missing today is Josiah Austin, the son of Pastor and Mrs. Kevin Austin. In recognition of these young people completing all 127 of their questions, we'll give them a, each a certificate. Okay, Sophia? And Liam and Quinn. All right. I want to say a word of gratitude to uh, Harold Blue for uh, leading this class. It's a uh, it's a very intense class of training. They. Uh, memorize uh, 127 questions and answers about what we believe as Christians and all the, the gamut of our theology and the practice of our faith as, as followers of Christ. And uh, I think it would be a challenge for any of us to do that. And for sixth graders, it's a great challenge. But I, we believe that it sets a, a really strong, firm foundation for their lives as they move forward in, in the faith. So I want to thank Harold for his uh, willingness to, to teach this class. He's done it for a number of years and does a great job. And uh, we just pray that what the children learn in the class will continue with them throughout the days of their lives. 
So we appreciate that very much. We ask the ushers to come now and uh, assist us in giving of our tithes and offerings. And children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church.
this moment when we come to the Lord together in prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, I invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, we come today recognizing that oftentimes life is hard. We're weighed down with burdens and concerns and struggles. Our minds are filled with questions and doubts. And we often find ourselves in situations in which we simply don't know what to do, how to respond, where to go. And this morning, I suspect some of us may be at that very place. Help us to hear you. Help us to hear your voice speaking into our hearts and our lives. Help us to see you even in the moments when it seems as though life is darkest. Father, help us today to, to know, to realize, to understand your faithfulness to us. Your goodness and mercy that is continually at work in our lives when we see it and feel it and when we don't. Lord, help us to know you as the almighty God who loves and cares for us and who is with us. Father, this morning, knowing your goodness and knowing your grace and mercy in our lives, we we pour out to you the burdens and the concerns with which we live. We pray, Father, for everyone who is in need of healing. Everyone who's in need of comfort, 
everyone who is praying for restoration to something that is broken. And for your grace to overcome struggles and habits and, and the temptations that continually come at us. Father, in this moment of silence, help us to know the assurance of your presence, of your healing, of your comforting grace. Father, we pray for our world and the great needs that we see unfolding before us. We pray especially for the nation of Syria. As things, the violence continues to escalate there, we pray that your spirit will bring peace. We pray that you will help the leaders of the government to, to change their strategy and their, their mindset. And we pray that you will work miraculously among people you deeply love. Father, we pray for other places of the world where there is struggle and violence and pain and war and ask for your healing. On this day in which we honor our earthly fathers, we give you thanks for the gift of family. We know that our fathers are not perfect just as we aren't perfect. And for some, this has been and maybe continues to be a source of pain and struggle. And for others, the word father brings images of love and joy and security. In either case, fill us with a sense of your presence in our families. Help us more than anything else to see you as our loving Heavenly Father. And for those of us who are fathers, help us to live so closely to you that we continually reveal you to our children and our families in every way that we possibly can. Father, we offer our prayer in the name of, through the power of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The scripture reading for today is from First Chronicles 1, 43 through 51. And that's page 391 in your pew Bibles. These were the kings who reigned in Edom before any Israelite king reigned. Bala, son of Beor, whose city was named Dinhabah. When Bala died, 
Jobab, son of Zerah from Basra, succeeded him as king. When Jobab died, Husham from the land of the Temanites succeeded him as king. When Husham died, Hadad, son of Badad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king. His city was named Avith. When Hadad died, Samla from Masreka succeeded him as king. When Samla died, Shaul from Rehoboth on the river succeeded him as king. When Shaul died, Baal-Hanan, son of Akbar, succeeded him as king. When Baal-Hanan died, Hadad succeeded him as king. His city was named Pau, and his wife's name, Mehedabel, daughter of Matrid, the daughter of Mizahab. Hadad also died. Please stand and sing with us. Empty hands held high, such small sacrifice, if not joined with my life, I sing in vain tonight, may the words I say, and the things I do, make my life song sing,
Father, that is our prayer today. We need you to help us live what we've sung. And we pray that as we continue in worship, looking at your word, you will help us to know more of what it means to let our life song sing to you. We pray this through Christ. Amen. like to talk about death. I really don't like to think about death. Death brings thoughts of fear, anxiety, loss, pain, regrets, heartache. I know there are times when when death we view death as a blessing. When death is a relief for someone who is suffering. But even in those moments, death is still taking something away from us that we don't want to lose. I remember the, my first encounter with death of any kind that I can remember is being four years old and, and sitting with my family in front of our little black and white television and watching John Kennedy's funeral procession through the streets of our nation's capital. That's one of the earliest memories I have as a child of that event. I remember just a couple of years later that a state trooper who lived in our small town in southern Indiana was killed investigating a domestic dispute. And I just remember the sadness that fell over our little community at that tragic death. And I remember standing at the casket when I was 16 of my great-grandfather who I knew very well. It was the first time someone that I loved and really knew had died. And I was standing there in front of his casket with my grandmother. And we were talking about death. I haven't been nearly as close to to death as I know many of you have, have. You have experienced death in very tragic ways and in difficult ways. And, and it's been a struggle and a heartache. But I do know, and I've been around death long enough, and I've lived long enough to know that even if death hasn't touched me like it might have touched some of you, death is a reality for all of us. And I think something of that was in my mind when I, not too long ago, was reading through First Chronicles. I'm once again this year reading through the Bible. And I find that to be just a wonderful experience because you read through passages that you might not ever read. Because we tend to read passages that we know or we like or that are easy for us to read. That's one of the great things about reading through the Bible is that you encounter all of Scripture, the parts that you might ignore otherwise. And I came to this passage at the end of First Chronicles chapter 1. And I apologize to Shelley for having to read all of those names. And when, I, when I picked that passage, I thought, I don't know who the person is going to be, but I feel sorry for them. And what struck me about this is that these are the kings of the Edomites. And, and they talk about these are, these are the kings who were established before Israel became a nation. And these are men of great power and influence. 
These are men who have accomplished great things. These are men who speak and people do. These are men who shape nations and people. These are men who command respect. These are men that people bow down before and shake in fear of. And what does it tell us about them? They reign, they die. They reign, they die. They reign, they die. They reign, they die. Every single one of them. And you get to the end of the list and it says that that Hadad also died. As if to say, just in case you were wondering, he died too. And there's something in that that strikes me about the, the universal reality of death. It doesn't matter if we're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if we're, if we're intelligent or illiterate. It doesn't matter if we live in rural, suburban, or urban settings. It doesn't matter how much or how little we comp- accomplish. We're all going to die. It doesn't matter if we are Christian or Muslim or Hindu or Buddhist or an agnostic or an atheist or a Wiccan. We're all going to die. Americans, Canadians, Chinese, Russians, Argentinians, Germans, Australians. We're all going to die. The universal reality of death is something we cannot avoid. And the question that's been running through my mind after I read that passage and pondering this is, what do we do about that? How do we respond to the reality of our death? I think one way many people respond is is with denial. We live in denial about death. And our culture is continually pushing us to deny the reality of death. we, We have so sanitized the process of death that, that we, we really don't experience it the way our forefathers and mothers tended to experience it. Most of the time when we talk about death, we use euphemisms. It just feels a little less real. And it, it's built in to our society and our world and how we handle it. Now I understand why we do that. Because we're trying to avoid this reality. And, and, and the truth is, it's good for us to want to delay death. You know, there is nothing great about just dying. We, we ought to avoid death. We ought to do everything we can to delay death. That's not bad. But something in the back of our minds, in our psyche, doesn't just delay death or, or try to extend life. But we're denying the reality of death, just subtly. I was talking with Herb Williams, funeral director in Fillmore this week, and we were talking about this subject, and he said, he said that what he's finding is that for a number of families who come to talk with him after a loved one dies, is they, they say to him, we want the quickest, fastest thing we can do. And, you know, there is something in that of let's just get this over with and move on because we really don't want to face it. A lot of people, he told me, are, as, as they're getting older, are coming in for, for meetings about prearrangements. And I think that's a great thing to do. I think it takes a lot of, 
of decision-making weight off of family members. He said, often people will come in and say to him, if I should die, here's what I want you to do. And of course, what they mean is when I die. But it's hard to say when I die. So instead, it comes out, if I should die. And it's just something in us that I have a hard time acknowledging it. And it goes back to the Garden of Eden. You know, God puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And he says to them, you can have any tree you want, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you will die. And Satan comes to them and says, so God says you can't eat of the trees in the garden? Oh, no, no, we can eat of any tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because if we eat of that tree, we'll die. And what does Satan say to them? You won't die. You're not going to die. And the subtle temptation in in the back of our minds is we're not really going to have to die. Even though we know it will happen at some point, we try everything we can to avoid thinking about it and to avoid processing it. But it's not just denial. We, We also respond to the reality of death with fear. You know, there are people who are so, so afraid of death that it paralyzes them about life. And, and we become people who, who live with fear about really living. We live so cautiously and so carefully that we never take any risks. We never step out of, of anything that's just comfortable and easy and careful. And again, our society is, promotes that mindset often. I mean, we don't mind watching other people risk. We just don't want to do it ourselves. You think of all of the, uh, of the safety measures that have been instituted for us. Now, I'm not against safety measures. I think they're, they're terrific and we need them. I worked in an emergency room for three years, so I know what can happen when people don't take safety seriously. But sometimes I wonder if we're not going so far. You know, one event happens to one person and we create a law to protect everyone. And again, creating the laws, the government is helping us and it's important to be safe. But there is a fine line between being safe and being paralyzed. Being afraid to die. Being afraid of what lies before us. And I understand why we fear death. It's the unknown. And and we wonder about pain and and all the things that may take place and how we're going to feel in those moments. And and I get that. But it's stepping over that line where the fear of death paralyzes us into inactivity. About 10 years ago, I read an article in the Buffalo News about Saddam Hussein. This was about a year before he was captured, about six months before uh, the invasion into Iraq. So he was still the president and had all of his powers. And the article was titled, Saddam Rules by Fear, but Lives Fearfully. And it talked about from insiders how he lived his life and how his meals were, were, were prepared in different kitchens all around the country. So no one knew which meal he was going to eat so they couldn't poison him. And, and every presidential speech that he gave could be given from one of 10 or 12 different locations that looked exactly the same on camera, so no one knew where he was. 
He had these great palatial palaces where he, he could live, but instead he lived underground in bunkers. Everything that he touched was examined and tested before he touched it. Anyone who came to see him had to go through thorough search and had to wash their hands in three different kinds of liquids. He never slept more than two or three hours at a night. And he had, through plastic surgery, he had doubles of himself created so no one knew exactly who he was. He was a man who, had, who ruled a country and was afraid to live because of death. And I know you and I would probably would never go to those kinds of extremes, but I wonder if our behavior is stunted because of our fear of death. Maybe our fear of death prevents us from getting involved in a mission trip or, or getting involved in a ministry to an inner city that we feel might be too dangerous or, or to step out outside of our comfort zone to help people and be compassionate with people that are different from us and frighten us. Maybe our fear of death prevents us from taking the kinds of steps of faith that God is asking of us. It's not just fear. There's the other side of it where sometimes our response to the reality of death is self-indulgence. We take the mindset, I'm going to die, I might as well live life to the fullest. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You know, it's the old beer commercial. You only go around once in life, so go for all the gusto you can. And, you know, again, there's the balance of that. But most of the time, when people talk about, I'm going to live life to the fullest, it's about me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to accomplish what I want to accomplish. I'm going to do what I want to do and whatever other people, they can deal with it. As long as I get to do what I want to do, that's all that matters. It reminds me of the parable Jesus tells in Luke 12 about the rich man whose harvest is so big that his barns won't hold it. And instead of, because he has plenty for himself, instead of giving away what he has and sharing with people who don't have any, his solution is to just build bigger barns to keep it in so he can hoard it for himself. And God says to him, you fool. You're a fool. And we are continually tempted to live in the spirit of self-indulgence. You know, life is short, so I want to get everything I can for myself. People, after seeing the movie, people create bucket lists. And there's something good about that, you know, of, of saying, here's some things I'd like to accomplish, here's something I'd like to do. But I find that often a lot of the, the bucket lists are just about me. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to experience what I want to experience. And everybody else, well, they'll deal with it. And often this mindset moves from loving people and using things to loving things and using people. How can I get people, how can I manipulate people, use people to get what I want? Because life is all about me. And that mindset not only is about people who are out there, we wrestle with this too. We're all tempted to live life about me. 
with very little thought about anybody else. And we find ourselves responding to the reality of death with a spirit of self-indulgence. One more thrill, one more high, one more possession, one more thing for me to get or to do or to grasp. And that's what life becomes about. There's got to be more. Because if we live in denial and fear, self-indulgence, then death rules us. Death controls us. And I don't think that's God's plan for us. I think, if you look at the scriptures, I think if you want to live, you want to respond to the reality of death, I think the answer is holiness. It's going back to the commandment that Jesus gives to, his, to the, the question that was asked of him. A teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And he says, love the Lord your God for your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's what life is about. And John Wesley, when asked, what do you mean by holiness? He says, that's what I mean. And that's what life should be. It's about caring for people. It's about, it's about being involved with people. But it's more than that. It's more than just being good people. Some of you may remember the song that uh, Tim, Tim McGraw recorded a few years ago, Live Like You Were Dying. If you don't listen to country music, you might not have heard that song. Um, I don't know if you like country music or not, but it's a very interesting song. He tells a story about meeting a man who it sounds like was diagnosed with cancer out of the blue. And he asks him, when you found out that news, when you knew that, that this, was really real, this might really be the real end, what did you do? And he says, talked about he went skydiving and climbed Rocky Mountains and he went bull riding. And then he said, and, and I loved deeper and I spoke sweeter and I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. What a wonderful way to live. What a wonderful thing that... that the reality of death coming into his life caused him to be a better person in this world. And, and that is wonderful, but it's not enough. It's not enough just to be good people. We need to be righteous people. It's not just to do good things. It's about living in the spirit of Christ and being filled with the spirit of Christ. Is being, that then leads us to compassion for people and loving people and caring for people and sacrificing ourselves for people and surrendering ourselves for one another because we first surrendered ourselves to God. It is not a coincidence that Jesus says the first commandment is to love God. And if we want to live in, in the reality of our death, the first truth is loving God. And that means we engage ourselves in things like the spiritual disciplines. Now, sometimes it, we think, well, I don't have that much, that long to go. I don't have that much time. So I've got to do everything I can. When we look at the life of Christ, it's always intrigued me that he spends 30 years getting ready for ministry and three and a half doing ministry. There is something in that model that speaks to us that we so often miss. We're all about doing, 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 but, but the doing has to come out of the being. And the way to be is to engage ourselves in the spiritual disciplines so that we open our lives to Christ. 
prayer and reading the scriptures and being open to Christ, they're never a waste of time. Solitude and silence in the presence of God is never a waste of time. Because we then have the resources to go out into the world and bear witness to Christ. And to be compassionate and to love people and to care for people and surrender to people. And now death doesn't control us because we've died to Christ. But instead, death motivates us. To be the people of Christ in this world that desperately needs to see Christ. And we care for each other and we love each other. And our priorities become completely different. And we really do begin to understand what it means to live like we are dying. As I was pondering this idea, my mind went back to the story that Mark Twain tells in Tom Sawyer about him, uh, the the situation arises where the town believes that Tom and Huck and friends have died on the river. And they're all mourning their death and and Tom and his friends make it back to town and he's about to tell the people that he's alive and then he hears they're having a funeral on Sunday and he decides it might be fun to not tell them and just see what this funeral is going to be like. He says, oh, he always wanted to attend his own funeral. So they sneak up into the balcony that no one's using and they listen. And they are intrigued by what they hear. Because these rascal boys are described as the sweetest, gentlest, kindest young boys you would ever know. It's that, you know, the, the, the clergyman who has to punish Tom every Sunday in Sunday school because he's misbehaving now can't find enough good words to say about this young boy. And it struck me, what are people going to say when they stand in front of our casket, when they come to our funeral, are they going to have to do all kinds of mental and verbal gymnastics in order to be kind about us? Are they going to have to Tom Sawyer us? Or will the reality of us being in Christ and all that that means for living life, will that just be reflected honestly and openly and naturally. See, it's one thing to be obsessed about death. It's something else to be obsessed with living in the light of death. It's one thing to let death manipulate us and control us. It's something else to let death motivate us. And every one of us, every one of us lives with the reality that someday we're going to die. Longer, shorter, who knows? We're going to die. What are we doing about it? The last line of Tim McGraw's song, the last line of the chorus... This man who has, has been through this illness 
and is telling him the story, says to him, someday, I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. The truth is, we all do. We all do. How are we going to live? Gracious Father, it's a hard thing for us. I know it's hard for me. And yet, Lord, it is a reality. Father, we want to be people who truly embrace life through your spirit and through your grace. Father, we want to be people who live in the light of eternity. So Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us hearts that are open to live in the reality of your grace in us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you to think about doing something this week. It might seem a little bit morbid, but I think it has some value. To take some time this week, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever it takes you, and to to write down what you would like for people to say about you at your funeral. What would I like for people to say about me? What, What do I hope people say? And then take that list and begin to pray for God to help you live to get to that end. And as we sing this last song, I hope that at the the top of the list is that people will say that all we have, all they had, really, when you boil it down, is Christ. Please stand as we sing.
the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.